when our Queen Elizabeth II passed away on Thursday of the past week, I asked one person, what do you do when the sovereign dies? And they said to me, just quite simply, just be like Isaiah and go to the temple and get a fresh vision of the Lord. King Uzziah was one of the longest reigning monarchs in the land of Israel. He reigned for some 52 years. Most of that reign was a glorious reign. But in his latter years, pride overcame him. And he sought to take over work that was not his to do. And he was smitten with leprosy. But nonetheless, for over half a century, he reigned in Judah. One of the most notable and illustrious reigns of the kingdom. And when he died, something happened. And I think something happens in the national consciousness of the people when the sovereign is taken away from us. He wasn't perfect, as no sovereign ever could be perfect. And yet God did something in Isaiah's heart. And Isaiah went into the temple. The word can be translated palace. But he was in the place, he was in the place where he was alone with the Lord. And God gave him this wonderful vision. One of the most wonderful visions that one individual had with the Lord, I believe, in all of the Old Testament scriptures. And down through the passing years of time, we hear these well-known words of verse 8. They come to our heart. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The church is ascending church. We call this ascending service. We're not a keeping a church. It'd be nice to keep all of the youth, all of the, 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 the young people, and just keep them all around us. But that's never the will of God. And we have to let go. And they go. And it's really something special when we send others forth into the Lord's work and into the Lord's harvest field. God is still asking in terms for others to go. Who will go for us? I think it's interesting here. It's us. This is the triune God that is speaking. We are Trinitarians and the Father, he inquires, who will go and bring my wandering children home? The Son asks, who will go and reach the sheep for whom I died? The Spirit demands to know in whom shall I dwell and through whom shall I speak and to whom will I bring the life of eternity to the perishing multitudes? Who will go for us? It's been a word has been much in my mind in the past week because as others have been taken, God raises new ones up. Who will go for us? We're glad that God has put that burden in the heart and life of our brother Thomas. But I want you to pray that even as we consider this vision tonight that God will reaffirm it in his heart and life. And that through the word of God the Lord will speak to others. Who will go for us? Let's consider first of all as we look at this question the vision that he got of the Saviour. In the temple, the prophet saw something that was to change his whole life. And how often we come to the worship of God 
and we're not expecting really anything very much and we go, a lot, we go home not changed. One of the nice uh, stories that uh, was told to me over the weekend was David Blennant from Sky News who, who is one of the leaders of the BB and he was at service over in Windsor uh, where the Queen attended. And afterwards the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen asked especially to meet with him and to inquire what was he doing there with these young people. And he recorded, I thought it was very nicely put, he went to the worship of God to worship the king and he met the queen. When we come to the worship of the king, you just never know what is going to happen at that particular time. Isaiah saw something of the glory of God in verse 1. Many believe this is just a pre-incarnation appearance, a theophany of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we can take this as read if we cross-reference this with John 12 and verse 41. The vision that Isaiah had was of Christ filling the temple, his radiance, his splendor, his glory. It filled the whole temple. You know, when the Lord comes, every part is filled. And when God is in a meeting, you always know God is in a meeting because hearts are touched and, and lives are moved. God comes. How, how do we see God's glory as Isaiah did? Well, the Apostle Paul informs us over in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Well, we see it in the face of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many things we need to learn as believers we need to have a vision of the lost. That's a, a, something that's vitally important. We need to have a vision of how to look after buildings and to keep them. That's visually, that is visually important. But you know the greatest importance is we need to keep a vision of the Savior ever before us. And that's something that we've lost out on. Above everything else, we need to see the Savior in his resplendent, radiant glory. And it's only as we see Christ that we're fitted for service and we're equipped for the work of God. Dear believer, you and I, we need to get a vision again. Just as Isaiah did in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that Queen Elizabeth II died, we need to get a vision of the Savior filling his temple once again. Isaiah saw Christ as one upon the throne. It's not a throne of little dignity or importance, for the Bible says it was a throne that was high and lifted up. God's throne is above every other earthly power and all other earthly dominions. And how little do we really dwell on the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is king and he is on the throne. Uh, during the summertime we, we took a little time out to go down to visit Hillsborough uh, Castle. It's a wonderful uh, half day out if, if you're looking somewhere to go. And we went into the throne room. And there's the throne. In all of its splendour. What power is reflected within there? The tremendous truth ought to 
encourage our hearts. I, I, I remember reading about Martin Lloyd-Jones. He didn't like that little chorus, God is still in the throne, because it suggested that there was a time when he was off the throne. God was never off the throne. He's always on the throne. Elizabeth II has been taken from her throne, but the kingdom of Christ is an unending kingdom, and God's throne is still secure. God is on the throne. God is ruling. God is reigning. God is sovereign. Isaiah saw the intendants which surround the throne. Verse 2, these uh, seraphims, the, the burning ones, they had six wings with twain. They covered the face with twain. They covered the feet with twain. Uh, he did fly. What, what an image here is presented to us. The seraphims, the, the burning ones that were there to do the Lord's bidding and to do the Lord's uh, will. They covered their face because this was respect. They covered their feet because they used those feet to do God's bidding. And those wings were used to go wherever the master sent them. They were not lethargic. They were not listless. They were not like statues around the throne room, either in winter or other, any other palace of the queen or the king. They were living. They were burning ones. They were there to serve. And you know, what a picture, what a model for service. If angels who have never known redeeming love can serve God, when you and I who know and have experienced the forgiveness that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we ought to be serving God, not listlessly, but we ought to be serving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Duty. Duty right to the end. There are many Christians, they, they, they stop short. They, they don't serve right to the end. I have seen it so many times in my own ministry and in my own experience, but I want to pray tonight that God would keep me serving in whatever capacity it is right to the end. In the home front. Wherever it is that God would keep me serving right to the end. Isn't that the desire of every true believer in the gathering? Don't allow yourself to be diverted from the service of God. What a model for service. Isaiah heard their singing. Oh, what, what did they cry? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If we are to worship God aright, there's one thing we have to grasp about God, and that is the holiness of God. The absolute perfect holiness of God in his creation, in his providential dealings with men, in his glorious redemption. God is holy in all his ways. We can't touch anything about the Lord that we can't say is not holy. And when we serve God aright, we, we are serving him, focusing in upon his holiness. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is missionary spirit. This is missionary zeal. Uh, and Thomas, it doesn't matter where the Lord leads you in the years that lie ahead. Either in these shores or to distant shores. Just remember that the whole earth is full of the glory of God. It's all his. From every tribe, from every kindred, from every tongue, God is going to call out a people for himself. That's what grace does. And it's just wonderful 
uh, even to play a little part in it and to see to see how God works and to see how God moves amongst the, the Gentile nations and calls out a people for himself. Look at this vision again and let's speak to you secondly that God gave to Isaiah a deep sense of his sin. It nearly seems to be in contrast to the scene that's all round about him. He's viewing the glory that's in front of him. He's, he's awestruck by it. And he senses who he is. The more he sees the glory of the Lord in the temple, the more he is struck by his own unworthiness. And he says, woe is me, for I am undone. And I don't think God is going to use anyone until self is broken. Pride is brought to nothing. Don't go into college thinking that college is waiting for you. Don't come to church thinking that the whole congregation is depending upon you. Don't go to your Sunday school class or the session meeting or the committee meeting or the congregational meeting or whatever other bit of service you're in. Don't go in thinking uh, the world is waiting for you. Rather be like Isaiah of old and we, we can lament with hearts, woe is me for I am undone. I sense my sin. It's in the breaking that there is the making. And God has to break us in order to use us. What a confession he made. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. Have you ever wondered why he didn't lament the uncleanness of his heart instead of his lips? He had just heard the, the seraphs, seraphims praise God. And I think there's something in this. He, he realized that from his lips he could not praise God as they did. He, di he didn't know the holiness of God as they knew it. And it was going to be from those lips that he was going to sound forth the word of the Lord to those that he would minister to in the years that lay ahead. He was conscious of sin as he looked outward. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Not just mine, but I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He lived in a day of departure. He had seen King Uzziah depart from the Lord. He witnessed God's judgment upon that old king because of his sin. And his soul was stirred within him when he thought of the sin of Uzziah, of the land. And he said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And you and I, we dwell in a post-Christian country. We can't say, even though all of the ceremony and all of the, the rigmarole that will go on over the next few days when we come up to the coronation up ahead, it's all rooted in a ceremonial a adherence to history. But would to God it would be for today, living for today. We dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, unclean lives. We have a parliament that has legislated for every abomination that God has decreed against. We have unclean overseers. We live in a society that has sunk into the mire as never before. There are things that when I was a boy... I, I knew nothing about, nor did I need to know anything about them. Today they're paraded in headlines across the world. 
and extolled in our own land. We must never allow, brethren and sisters, our lives to become accustomed to the sins of the age. Where do we dwell? We dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The way in which God dealt with the prophet's sense of sin is very remarkable. We have this wonderful th- uh, incident here in verse 6 and verse 7. Because a seraph with tongs took a burning coal from off the altar and touched his lips with it. These lips that he lamented. He touched his lips with it. And this was the manner in which his sense of sin was purged and cleansed. Uh, what does all of this mean? Well, well fellowship. Fellowship with the great sacrifice. Because the application of one of the coals which consumed the sacrifice is the only way to remove our sense of sin, our sense of unworthiness, our sense of failure. We need the coal from off the altar to touch our lips, to touch our lives. And when that coal touches these lips of ours, all of the lukewarmness has to go. All of the listlessness has to go. How we can mourn over many of our sins, but I think one of the greatest sin of our own hearts and of the church of 2022 is our lukewarmness. And it's only the fire of heaven can deal with that lukewarmness. We sometimes sing to make our weak hearts strong and brave. Send the fire, send the fire. To live a dying world to save, send the fire, send the fire. Oh, see us on thy altar lay, our lives are all this very day. To crown the offering, now we pray, send the fire. Lord, touch our lips. And then thirdly, I want you to notice, Isaiah was being prepared for his call to service. What a heavenly appeal for workers he heard. Quite extraordinary, really. Who will go? This wasn't a mission board asking. This wasn't a presbytery asking. This wasn't a session in a local church asking. This was the Lord asking. Who will go? But he could find no. He could find no volunteers. See, it's Spurgeon said of this. It's grievous beyond all thought that there should be such multitudes of men and women in the church who nevertheless seem unfit to be sent upon the master's service or who at least never offer to go. And he has to cry, whom shall I send? What a picture is presented before us here. All over the world, we're we're thousands of years later down down the, the corridor of history and God is still crying in the ears of his people and in his church. Who'll go for us? Who'll go and tell redemption's story? Who'll go and serve the Lord at home and abroad? Who will go? Have you ever asked? There's no human response because the Lord was asking and there wasn't a response. If there's no human response, why did the Lord not gent- just not send the seraphims? Well, he could have t- put that honor on those angelic beings. But he put the treasure in earthen vessels. You and I have the honor of going. We have the honor of going. And Thomas, there is no honor likened unto the honor 
of being sent to represent Christ. The call came. Who will go? It needed a willing response. Willing. Willing. God makes us willing in the day of his power. But he's still looking for those that are willing to go. Oftentimes I think uh, in the minds of many people, many people think that the mission field is in Uganda in the Free Church, in Kenya in the Free Church, in Nepal, in Spain, in all these various places we've been working in for years. It is. But it's here. It's here in Analong. It's here in the kingdom of Morn. You have a mission field in your own family. You have a mission field in your own street. You have a mission field in your own road. And who will go? I want you to notice in closing. Isaiah had a desire to be sent. He said here am I send me. He said to the Lord I am what I am. Here am I. Take me as I am. I'm glad God uses plasters Thomas. I'm glad God uses civil servants who were trained just to fill in forms and file them away and work out somebody's pension. I'm glad God has a use and he takes us just as we are. And he can take you just as you are. You don't have to be somebody else. Just you be yourself. And God will use you just as you are. Isaiah said, here am I. And in saying that, he knew the Lord knew all about him. All his weaknesses, all his, his uh, faults, all his failures. Nothing was hid. But he just offered himself nonetheless. And that's just what the Lord wants you to do tonight as a Christian. The Lord just wants you to, as it were, put yourself where Isaiah was all of those thousands of years ago. We have lost one of our, we have lost the longest reigning monarch ever in British history. In some 1,200 years of the British monarchy, Queen Elizabeth II has been the longest reigning monarch. We have lost her. And now the Lord has brought us into the temple. And it's not your job or mine to sit in the throne. Aren't we glad of that? But he has the King of kings and Lord of lords. is a job for us all to do. Just as we are. You don't have to be anybody else. Just you be yourself. And I want you to notice. He prayed to be sent. He said sent me. He was willing. But he wanted to know that he was a sent man. And that's the test. You must be sent. God doesn't tell you where he's going to send you. You can never make terms with God. It's just enough to know I'm sent on where he may lead me. I will go. What Isaiah saw changed his whole life. God didn't send him to a people that responded in their multitudes to him. And there was revival in Judah. Sadly not. Read the 
latter part of the chapter, he was sent to those that were of hard heart. The most evangelical of all of the prophets who presented Christ in all of his glory. But you know what the Lord asked him to do? Just you go and be faithful. Just you go and be faithful. The Lord does not send you to be successful in the eyes of the world. The Lord sends you to be faithful before the throne of God. A sent man. We're glad we're sending uh, our brother Thomas into college. And we're glad that Morn is represented again in the Whitfield College of the Bible amongst the student body. And we pray that, Thomas, you'll be God's sent man. And that the Lord will use you mightily. But that doesn't mean the rest of us just sit back idly. We have a work to do. We have to pray for this young man and his dear wife Faith and their little family. We have to pray for them. We have to support them as best we can. There's no use saying to someone, I'm praying for you and then we'll never see you again. We want to support him as best we can from this little congregation and on along. And I want him to know and to be reassured that we're holding on to the ropes for him. That God would enable him to finish what he started with the well done of heaven. Who will go? Here am I. Send me. Turn with me please. We'll sing a few verses of that closing hymn. It's a special meeting tonight so... <clears throat> You'll forgive us if we overshoot our time a little. 681. <sighs> Hymn number 681. We'll stand as we sing. We'll sing verses 1, 3 and 5 only as we conclude our evening service. Hymn number 681, verses 1, 3 and 5. <clears throat> and I'll ask our brother Thomas to go down to the door and shake hands with you as you leave you can wish him well and bid him God speed if anyone would like to speak to me I'm here I'm here to speak to you and if you'd like to speak to us about any matter please come and uh, speak to me at this